Welcome to the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Our next guest is joining us by phone, and he is an award-winning writer and blogger who has been advocating on behalf of those living with HIV since testing HIV positive in 1985. And I'm very, very excited to have him here on the program, Mark S. King. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the invite, Michelle. Yeah, so I actually have been a fan of your blog for a while now, um, since at least you know starting my career over 10 years ago, my fabulous disease, and it's a three-time GLAAD award, uh, uh, award nominee in terms of you and you starting this, So, but a lot has changed, and obviously we can agree with that as members of the LGBTQ community, but, but in covering uh, HIV issues and and. I, you know, I sometimes I like to take a look back before we start talking about the the now, um, and I, I guess I'd like to start with just kind of your thoughts. You've been covering this for so long. How has how have, have things have changed? I mean, how have they changed for you as someone covering this topic? Well, gosh, I mean, it's the difference between night and day, or uh, the blackest midnight versus you know morning has broken uh, just in in terms of obviously the mortality rates that we're seeing in the United States and uh, the uh, just the level I mean I come from a time you know I tested positive about two weeks after the test was invented to find HIV in your body in 1985 and uh, certainly uh, the environment I lived in then which was absolutely no drugs, uh, no sense of how to treat this uh, disease or what we were going to do about it, and um, in an atmosphere of constant mortality and uh, death and dying, it really was, you know, a nightmarish time. And I believe that that history of ours, because we as an LGBTQ community uh, rose up together and, and mounted a response, a community response, um, certainly there was lots going on in medicine and research to do it, but in, in, uh, without that, we as a community stood up and said, we're going to fight against um, the discrimination and the stigma and the hatred and the fear of people uh, living with HIV and uh, dying of AIDS, and we're going to care for them. That may be the proudest moment we as a community may have, I believe, seen in our lifetime certainly and uh and that is our caring uh for the sick and the dying and our um uh standing with them alongside them uh and i counted myself as one of those i i certainly thought that i was a goner um within a couple of years and and i lived that way kind of in two-year increments uh for a number of years 20 years before uh um effective medications came along in, in the late 90s that uh, turned everything around. So, yeah, there, there's, a, there's an enormous difference and, and a lot to be grateful for, and yet we still need to keep our eye on the ball. We still need to uh, be vigilant, uh, and we still have to fight social stigma against people with HIV, which I believe is probably as bad as it's ever been, despite our medical breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you so much for beautifully saying that because I know that that was a big question. I mean, how do you how do you answer that with yeah, decades worth of work evolving to what it is today? 
Um, and yeah. today, you know, you had just you had just covered uh, World Aid, the World AIDS Conference or AIDS 2018 in Amsterdam, and yeah. and just hearing you talk about where we were. Um, and feeling isolated or not feeling like we had the support to creating the support for ourselves. I mean, what's the community of support like now? It's, it's, it's a worldly effort. It's a global effort. It is a global effort. And um, certainly uh, the AIDS crisis uh, uh, continues to be a crisis depending on where you live, depending, uh, you know, HIV and the crisis has always depended on, Stature, privilege, money, resources, all of those things. And so we as a developed nation have always had advantages that other people haven't. Then again, within our, <laughs> within our country, you look at where the, uh, you know, HIV always follow, follows the path of least resistance. It's, it seeks out those communities which are most vulnerable because they lack education or resources or access to health care. So, of course, now you see... Um, in new infections and deaths in among gay black men in the southern United States that are as bad and in some cases worse than sub-Saharan Africa. That's how bad we, and, and that is uh, a disgrace that we as a nation uh, have allowed, of course, health care, access to health care, access to uh, uh, to to um, information about safer sex, sex education, uh, all of those things, that, that all of those things intersect in the South. And, and that's why you're seeing uh, such terrible infection rates and mortality uh, among gay black men. So you look, at the, you look at the world as a whole, and what you're going to find is in those nations that have progressive ideas, progressive values about health care, about what it means to be LGBT or a sex worker or uh, a, trans, uh, a transgender person. All of those things, when they line up correctly, you're going to see low rates of HIV. When they don't, you won't. Uh, so, uh, yes, it's a global response. Amsterdam was amazing. The Dutch are, are welcoming people and certainly uh, gay men uh, in uh, the Netherlands are extremely sex-positive and well-informed, and as a result, you're seeing lower infection rates, much higher level of education. I want to talk about you know other countries a little bit later, but for right now, I want to focus on the United States and something that you had said in terms of you know how bad it is for certain segments of our community, which it's it's somewhat shocking. I mean, when you've got cities like San Francisco, big major urban cities, home to a good you know popular, yeah, definitely heavily populated, but. Um, but has existing neighborhoods for LGBTQ people and resources who who have campaigns, yeah. who have efforts to get to zero. And, you know, what does that mean? Getting to zero is, get, you know, zero new infections. When you've got campaigns like that and then compare it to what you were just talking about, those impacted, for example, you know, uh, black gay men in the South. I mean, right. What can be done? I mean, are we learning what those solutions are? And you talked about some of the things that need to align, but is it is it a, is it a question of uh, racist systems that you know don't deliver the resources that we need? Is it a question of not of being impacted by a, a geography? Like I, I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to 
get at is the root problem even in our own home. Well, and those root problems are the same problems that plague us as a nation in general, the kind of values that you and I most likely share in terms of uh, 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 equality, uh, gender equality, the equality of LGBTQ people, the equality uh, and the lifting up of people who are marginalized, whether it's socially or economically, um, uh, those are factors that that affect people's health, uh, period, across the board, and certainly when it comes to HIV. So, you, you know, it's, uh, it's no, it's no, should be no surprise, uh, it's just a tragedy that a gay black man living in Mississippi right now uh, has a 50, 50% chance of, of, of contracting HIV in his lifetime. 50%. One in two, he will become HIV positive. And if and when he does, his chances of going on to develop AIDS, um, of uh, not getting treatment that he deserves, um, much less the education to have prevented his infection in the first place, not to get the treatment he deserves and the likelihood of him dying of that HIV infection is, is uh, astronomical compared to a gay black man living in San Francisco, living in Oakland. Mm-hmm. living in West Hollywood or Los Angeles or probably anywhere else in, in California for that matter because California has Medicaid expansion. California has sex education and uh, the availability of condoms and education about PrEP, the daily pill to prevent HIV. All of those things are in place in a state that might as well be a galaxy away from where that gay black man in Mississippi resides. And so... It really is uh, no different. Those those uh, societal and economic disparities that affect most everything else that we think of affecting the South versus the rest of the country, except they have real consequences. They have real moral consequences for um, that gay black man in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just uh, just wanted to put some contrast around that. You know, we went from a time in our history in which the federal government ignored ignored us, and now looking at what the issues are today, I would I would argue that a good component or to providing the solutions to this is that the government, local, statewide, and federal, still needs to act. Absolutely. Certainly they do, and yet we're still led by the same homophobia and, uh, and the same uh, – we now have an administration which is, by many measures, worse than uh, the Reagan 80s that we experienced as the AIDS crisis was in its initial bloom. Now we have an administration that is systematically stripping transgender people of their civil rights and – trying to kick them out of the military and trying to deny them health care. And now we have a health care system in which we're saying that people have uh, religious liberty to discriminate freely based on their religious beliefs. That applies to nurses, to hospitals, to doctors, uh, to people in, in a public clinic that say, I, am, do not want to, I do not want to provide this gay man education because his life is an affront to my religious liberty. So you have a very dangerous environment. And, you know, when Larry Kramer talks about 
the systemic annihilation of gay men off this planet by, uh, by our government, um, you start to understand what in the world he's saying and that it doesn't really sound so extreme after all when we see what this administration is doing to us as a people. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. very real consequences, very real mortal consequences as a result. Let's talk about you equals you. That might be a new concept for a good oh, yes, number please. of Let's us. Do. Let's do. Let's do. Because, Absolutely. you know, apart from just looking at what what we still need to do as far as the work, let's also celebrate some of the gains and the wins. And so today, uh, you equals you is something that we can celebrate. What is you equals you? It certainly is. It has become really a rallying cry for HIV advocates around the world, uh, started by the Prevention Access Campaign, which was a very grassroots, started essentially by one person, uh, who Bruce Richmond here in the United States, who believed that this message was not getting through, that this science was being ignored because of social stigma. And that science says that a person who is HIV positive, who is on successful treatment and is undetectable, undetectable meaning that by our current measures, we cannot locate active HIV in your bloodstream. And we've gotten very, very good at that. These new tests are as sensitive as they've ever been. And they and when we are on successful treatment, people like me, I've been undetectable for 10 years. I have, They have not been able to locate active virus in my body. Yes, it's, of course, it's still there, but it is suppressed to the degree that I am not capable of transmitting my HIV to someone else. That's mm-hmm. profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have the science that now proves it without a reasonable doubt that people who are undetectable, not only can they not transmit the virus, but those who, who, who get to being undetectable once they start a treatment are very likely to stay there because they've already demonstrated that they have access to health care, they're taking their medications, and they're taking them regularly. Being undetectable is something that does not waver from one day to the next. It's not like I'm, un- I'm detectable one day and now I'm... No. Once you've achieved undetectable status, it's extremely likely that you're going to stay there over a period of time as long as you keep taking your meds, which people with HIV want to do because we want to stay healthy. The idea for me that after 33 years of living with HIV and feeling like some sort of viral threat to those around me, to my sex partners, etc., to have a feeling that I am no longer that, that I am, in fact, a, a fully healthy, non-threatening human being is, is a profound change uh, psychologically for mm-hmm. those of us living with HIV. And it's an important HIV prevention device. If we know that people with HIV, if we'll just get tested, that's my big message. Go find out your status. If you find out you're HIV positive and you're able to then access treatment, you will not be infectious to other people. And in fact, being undetectable is there are zero new infections from those who are undetectable. There's not a single documented case of the hundreds of thousands now of people have been studied who are undetectable. There is not a single case of someone who is undetectable transmitting the virus. It is a better, it is more of a guarantee than condoms 
which have a which have a failure rate, you know, um, because they fail, because they're not used properly, because they're not used all the time. I'm always undetectable. Every yeah. day, I'm undetectable. And so, what a what a thrill that is, and what an important prevention device that 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 is. That we you know we can stop HIV in its tracks. Uh, it, it will no longer continue to be passed on. And, and in fact, when you look at San Francisco. They are seeing reversals of, of new infections among gay men to the tune of 40% uh, a greater success rate in, in uh, not transmitting HIV and, and getting new infections. Why is that? Because people with HIV are on successful treatment and are not transmitting the virus to their partners. That and PrEP, the daily pill that's preventing people who are negative from um, becoming infected. Ooh, I wanna I wanna talk about prep in just a second, but there there are a lot of things that you had just said that brought up some stuff for for myself, but I think for a lot of people who are not HIV positive or who are, or are not thinking about um, HIV prevention, and that can be many many people. Um, now you talked about you know the the medicine that has been, become more advanced, people having access to the medicine. Uh, we got we were at a place once in our history in which um, you know a lot, I think a lot of the medicine was was testing. It was kind of like not a, you know uh, people reacted to medication, HIV medication. It was uh, at one point tons of different types of medication that people were trying. Um, what's it like? What's it like now? I guess is it one you know oh, pill? Well. Is, are there different options for different people? Absolutely. I mean, there is, you could fill up a pharmacy with the choices we have, uh, which is amazing because, again, I tested positive at a time where there wasn't any, and, and, and the first drug was years away. Uh, so, um, but, but it's not simply, you know, all the things are better than it was in 1985. It is, by any measure, things are, uh, uh, the, the availability, um, well, the selection we have of drugs to take, um, medications to take, uh, is wide, is very wide, very broad, and uh, should be acceptable to just about anybody. And by that I mean side effects. You know, I went through all those early drugs where there were side effects and terrible things happening, and we were getting wasting and and all sorts of physical, you know, abnormalities as a result. That's not the case anymore. And as a matter of fact. As someone who was used to taking, you know, I was taking handfuls of pills for many years. I take two pills in the morning. Uh, I down it with my my daily vitamin and my little aspirin, and that's it. I don't think about it for the rest of the day until the next morning. I take two more pills, and and that controls my HIV. That suppresses my virus and makes me undetectable. That's amazing. And you know what? If for some reason I had a reaction to one of those pills or both of those pills, there's a whole, there's a whole long list of, of other ones that I could take um, um, uh, as an alternative. No one, you know, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization, but by and large, no one with HIV should have to suffer a side effect from a medication they're taking mm. because mm. there are so many options. Uh, of course, you have to have access, meaning you have to have insurance or you have to go to a clinic that is offering you meds through some sort of governmental program. Um, but we do have those options in this country um, um, to, uh, 
medicines to be available and accessible to most everyone. Thank you so much for that. And part of that question is, uh, you know, again, I think a lot of people are ignorant, general, uh, you know, mainstream media. Sometimes they don't cover HIV issues in a way in which people totally understand that. And I think that if if everyone understood a little bit more than they do about this issue, our community would be a whole lot stronger and a whole lot more confident, which hopefully then leads to the access part in what you're talking about. It sounds like, you know, we have the the answer the to the best of our ability. It's just about also access as well. Uh, the other, you know, question that I had about this is uh, you mentioned PrEP, and it, people have been talking a whole lot about PrEP. Sometimes it's been controversial, um, and now I think that people have a better understanding of it. But, again, for the purpose of also educating folks who don't know a whole lot about HIV issues, um, what is PrEP? And when we talk about preventive, preventative measures and how it could be a prevention tool, and you also talked about, you know, even compared to condom usage and just what health officials might be advocating if you are thinking about using PrEP. Uh, and what findings are there as some, some men have been concerned about the side effects? Mm-hmm. Well, there, the, the, PrEP, is a, PrEP is a strategy. In other words, PrEP isn't a particular pill. It's a strategy. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis preventing something before it happens, right? So this is a pill. Right now, the only FDA-approved pill for PrEP is Truvada. And Truvada was studied uh, for this purpose because it had a low side effect profile, because it was fairly tolerable. Um, It was used already as as a medication for people living with HIV, but they studied it as something that might be good prophylactically before. And in fact, it's uh, worked out great. Now, it does have side effects for some people. Um, and initially, those side effects, I think, were understated. Uh, um, and, and so people should be monitored. But that's part of what the whole PrEP thing is about. You don't just get on PrEP and take pills and, 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 and that's it. It's a commitment. If you are um, if you're at risk, if you believe that you are you know, at risk for for uh, becoming infected with HIV because you don't always use a condom and uh, for whatever reason, then you'll want to uh, make a commitment to take PrEP. And that means going to your doctor, you know, getting an HIV test, making sure you're negative, being prescribed PrEP, and then going back to your doctor every few few months so that they can take blood work and just make sure you're not getting um, side effects, which are there's some kidney problems or bone uh, uh, density problems that can be associated with the use of Truvada. They have been minimal, um, but they don't want to take any chances, so they want to make sure, you know, they want to check you out every few months to make sure that it's okay. The benefits are enormous because those who take PrEP regularly, among those who do take the pill as prescribed each each day, they will have in the high 90s, 96, 97, 98% chance of not contracting HIV. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that if you have sex 100 times, then the 90th time you will contract HIV. That's not how these, you know, people get caught up in in, in the origami of all of these uh, numbers. What it means is each and every time you do have sex, 
there is a 98% chance that you are protected. That's a pretty good odd each yeah. and every time. And, um, and that is, by the way, again, better odds than a condom, which are only considered effective 90% of the time or less because they're not used every time, because, they're, because they fail, because they're not used correctly. The great thing about taking a pill every day to prevent HIV is that you're not having to take it, you don't have to slip it on your penis in the heat of the moment. Oh my gosh, hold, 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 let, let me go, let me grab this out of my nightstand. You know, oh, n- never mind, it's too much trouble, let's just go. You know, you don't have to make those decisions when you're not thinking with your, with your brain. You take that pill every morning with, with, you know, with your orange juice and you're done. And then you don't have to make those decisions in the heat of the moment. Is it true that a lot of people who are taking PrEP are doing so because they don't always use condoms? Yes, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. And thank God, because those are exactly who PrEP was designed for. I don't have much patience for the judgment that comes out of people about who it is that's choosing to use PrEP. Mm-hmm. You know, if mm-hmm. it is designed for people who are at risk. If you are using a condom every single time you have sex, well, God bless you. You, you may not be a, a strong candidate for PrEP. But if you ever don't use one, which the majority of gay men uh, fall into that category, then they may be a candidate for PrEP, and they should proudly take it and feel good about the fact that they are taking care of their health, and they should pay no attention to these online trolls who want to say that people who take PrEP are promiscuous or are this or that. The people who take PrEP are those that are taking the most pride in their bodies and their lives. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time to answer that. I have so many questions for you, but, you know, obviously (laughs) I can't talk to you all day long, which I wish I could. But you produced a series of videos while you were there at AIDS 2018 in Amsterdam. And, you know, from a lot of what I collected from watching a few of the videos was that um, sexual liberation, which was, you know, part of the gay liberation as well. But sexual liberation has continued on throughout the, the history of AIDS, HIV, AIDS, and I think that that's a very, very important component. And some people might be surprised, but for a lot of people around the world, you know, sexual liberation is is kind of it's like so, for some countries or for some people, it's it's also could be a new thing. So I wanted to you know ask for you to touch on that and some of the people that you talk to. Um, who are, who are sure. standing out and being very proud and, and also, you know, uh, marching, protesting for the right, the opportunity, the, the freedom of expression? Well, my coverage in Amsterdam was sponsored by Impact, which is Global Action for Gay Men's Health and Rights. And they asked me to focus on the lives of gay men through sex-positive stories. So anyone that reviews my video coverage of the conference is going to see me in sex clubs, talking to gay sex workers, talking to guys who are into leather and fetish gear, uh, in the gay sauna, talking about their hepatitis C prevention campaigns. I was all over the place and uh, and really focused kind of on the sexuality and the sexual lives of the men that I talked to. Those videos can be viewed on myfabulousdisease.com. 
and you can go through all of them and, and choose which ones you want to watch. And there, and, uh, and so thanks for bringing that up. Now, the question of pleasure, sexual pleasure, is something that we as a community haven't been able to talk about for more than a generation because mm. we have been muzzled about speaking of pleasure because we've all been so um, traumatized and terrified by HIV. And, um, and for gay men, at least, um, for a generation, we have been told to put a barrier between ourselves and our partner. And, um, and if we don't, uh, then um, we're committing some sort of um, a violent uh, self-loathing act. When in fact, you know, we deserve a full and satisfying sexual existence just like any other human being on this planet. Uh, and uh, that includes having sex without a barrier with our partner if that's what we choose to do, as long as we're doing it responsibly. Doing it with a partner you know is undetectable is responsible. Doing it with a partner with whom you're using a condom is responsible. Doing it with a partner without a condom but who is on PrEP is responsible. There's more than one kind of protected sex now. And as a result, more and more activists are talking about pleasure again, about how much fun it is to have sex, how much fun it is to have unprotected, that is, not unprotected, see, I, I'm guilty of that myself, of having sex without a barrier with our partners again. There's, there's value in that. There is emotional, sexual, and spiritual value to our sex lives and the and body fluids flying hither and on. It's fun. It's sexy. It's intimate. It's spiritual. It is all of those things for us as human beings. And now we get to talk about that again because there are ways to do it um, while still protecting ourselves. And yet we've got had it more than a generation of, you know, where, where we've had death and dying and mortality and judgments being flung about. And, and it's been difficult to say, wait a second, I would like to have a full and satisfying sex life. And that includes, um, uh, that includes uh, body fluids and doing with them what I'd like to do with them. That's meaningful to me. And, and uh, to be able to say that and experience it and, and do it uh, in a way that's responsible again, that's really hard for people to do. And so there's a lot of kind of tension between activists like me who are saying that is possible, we have a right to it, we can do it responsibly, and, and I'm doing that and I love it. Um, uh, I don't use condoms in my relationship. And um, I don't have to. And thank God for that. And um, my being HIV positive doesn't prevent me from protecting my partner. And, and being able to have a full and satisfying sex life without having to rely on a condom. Um, just my saying that out loud was absolutely, was heresy. Even five years ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe even three years ago. Maybe from some of your listeners, they're freaked out by my saying that now. But the fact is, is I can do that and I can be responsible and we get to have these conversations again about what pleasurable sex means and how we're entitled to it and how we can do it in a responsible way. Oh, that was so beautifully said. I almost think that that's the way to end the interview. Uh, but I did have one last question, and that question is really about looking forward to the future and 
you know, you wrapping up this conference fresh from it, having a different lens, covering this topic for so long. I mean, what are some of those things to look forward to? Um, I think you've already covered a whole lot of it in this interview, uh, but just to kind of, you know, look back at the conference itself and maybe something new that you learned or meeting some new people, um, what might be something that we need to be thinking about leading up to the next conference? I think the most I get out of these conferences is the inspiration from meeting people around the world who share a common goal, and that is the health of their community. And our community health is more than just whether we get HIV or not. Our community health is LGBTQ people. It's about our ability to love one another and love each and love ourselves and uh, take care of ourselves, take care of our bodies, our minds, our spirits. And all of those things, to me, are satisfied by my activism in HIV. It doesn't have to be that for you. You're, you're an activist in your own right. You are, you are standing up and being counted in your own way. We all get to participate in this grand design of humanity here, right? Uh, so I just live as someone who has been living with HIV much, much longer than I ever thought possible. And I wake up every morning with joy and gratitude. And, uh, and, uh, and I believe in the power of us as a community. And I don't believe that that power can be crushed by uh, the uh, occupant of our White House or any single administration. We just have to get out there and continue uh, fighting for the lives that we know we deserve. Mark, thank you so much for sharing you uh, with us here on the Michelle Miao Show. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for the uh, pleasure of speaking to you. For more information or to take a look at some of those videos we talked about, but most importantly, to get some content from Mark, he's just simply one of the best. Head to MarkSKing.com. We'll be right back.